Wasn't that a great time of worship this morning? Thank you, Cameron, somewhere. And wasn't God's presence just so real? Oh, I've got to speak. Actually, I will, I will follow up on some of the things. There, I think there are some profound words there for some people here this morning. And I often find if you get a prophetic word from God, he gives you extra faith for the situation. So for some of the words, I think one was someone's looking for salvation. So you're looking for salvation and issue, go to Mike, because Mike has got more faith for that than I probably have. Um, Rachel's hand, God's got a hand on us. God's got his hand on each of us. And there's a phrase I love, God is great, God is good, and God is gracious. God is good. And Val's testimony of being specific in our prayer, Lord, I'd like a car. Lord, I like this sort of car. And we found, I found that. We actually were praying for a car. We know, and God challenged us to pray specifically. And within a week, we hit, our friend said, I'm selling this one. It just fitted beautifully. God knows what we need, but he likes us to be specific. And Dave was encouraging us. I mean, sometimes you come into church and you do not feel like praising God. You've had one of those days, you think, oh, do I have to go to church? I'd rather do nothing than go to church. But we have to say to our soul, I will praise the Lord. And suddenly it's a transformation because you're telling yourself you will praise the Lord. And suddenly God lists you. God's good, God's great, and God is gracious. And Chris was worried about going through the darkness, looking to the light. And that's a tough one because many of us are going through dark times in this church. Our family are with two situations of illness. And sometimes you think, God, where is the light? But we just have to keep on trusting because God, as Chris reminded us, God is totally dependable. And even we go through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. And he's a good God. He's great, he's good, and he's gracious. And what I'd encourage you, if any of those words really spoke to you, try and find the person that brought them and ask them to pray for you because I believe there'll be faith in that person that brought them. I hope Dave, Rachel, Mike, Drew brought a word as well. What did Drew say? Wait for God. Yeah, so often we... We think, oh, I've got to get on and do stuff. But God so often says to us, wait, let me guide you, let me lead you. In Psalm 46, it says, I think it's uh, stand still and wait for God. So we deliberately this morning left more time for worship because we just wanted a time where we could just worship and we've deliberately spent more time for communion. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through what, a little bit about the history of communion. You probably know it. And I've already given the answer to one of my questions I was going to start with a quiz. How many ceremonies did Jesus encourage us to partake in? You may answer. How, Pauline? Two? Okay. Two is correct answer. One of them we know because we're looking at that today. <laughs> What's the other one? Baptism. Great. So the reason I ask that question is because Baptism is a symbol of starting our walk with Jesus. It's a symbol of us dying, coming back out as a new person. And communion is a symbol of our continuing walk with God. And the Lord's Supper is so rich in symbolism. And it is, I'm going to go through some of that um, in, in a moment. But what I want to do is go back. Imagine you're an Israelite. There'll be nine plagues and God then suddenly steps up to speak. And I've asked Pauline to come up and read Exodus 12 to us. <clears throat> it is a long one, so I hope you're getting it. I didn't know it was that long when I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord said to 
month is... Oh, thank you. Yes. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. The detail's good, eh? You are to determine the amount of lamb in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses, and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel, whether he is an alien or native-born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them, 
It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, if you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herbs. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on that this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised him, but a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like anyone born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Thank you, Pauline. You can see in that that chapter, rich symbolism. We see it as 21st century Christians and see Jesus as our Passover lamb. But just imagine you're a Israelite and you've heard this, I'm going to get my lamb, I'm going to get that blood, and I'm going to make sure it is visible. Because God is going to do something really spectacular there in Egypt. And the, the Egyptians, sorry, the Israelites were obedient and they did what they were told. And then for 40 years they wandered around aimlessly, 
disobediently. So, I've lost my place in my notes, apologies. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it's throughout, you'll see throughout the Old Testament. Even recently we were looking in the book of Ezra, and Ezra 6.19, on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves and were ceremonially clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, for the relatives, the priests, and for themselves. So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their gentle neighbours in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. For seven days they celebrated with joy the festival of unleavened bread because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he had assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. For Val, my wife and I, the Passover is very special because actually it's 14th of April, it's Passover, it's our wedding anniversary. And when we went to Bible college in 85, 84 and 85, We actually celebrate the Passover together as Bible school students. It was a combination of the Jewish traditional Passover and a modern Christian communion. And it really was a special evening. Uh, Just the symbolism is so rich. You eat these bitter herbs, it's horseradish. And if anyone likes Japanese food and you've got your wasabi, the green stuff, it brings tears to your eyes. And it just reminds you of the bitterness of slavery. And... We, we, when we got back to England, uh, we were in uh, Newbury Community Church, and then we became part of Tadley. And we had a Passover, we got some friends, and Helen may remember this, but this was April the 16th. And Val, Val you know my wife, she, she, she goes and goes and goes, she was heavily pregnant, goes and goes, we'll, we'll have the Passover, I said, no problem, let's carry on. I don't think we're going to have this Passover. <laughs> I think I'm going to go to hospital. So, well, mum was there anyway, so we had friends over for the Passover. So they had the Passover, and we went to hospital and had a baby. <laughs> and another year in the Passover, it was uh, a bunch of friends came over. And at the end of it, we just broke bread together as Christians and communion, and we were chatting away. And John Denning, a really good friend, and he said, Alistair, I'd like to prophesy, if I may. And I said... Yeah, always listen. Always good to hear what God's got to say, as long as it's good. <laughs> Actually, the bad stuff's good as well because He wants to change us. But, and John said, "This is a strange one." I said, "I really think it's time for you to move." And Val and I looked at each other, quite surprised in some ways, because that week we were thinking it's about time we moved into Tadley because we lived in Newbury, I worked in Newbury, and we thought if we're going to be part of the Tadley Church, we need to be in Tadley. So we said to John, "Wow, thank you." That was just confirmation to us, because actually moving houses actually is, is difficult, and we get the commute to Tadley is not that bad, but we thought if we're going to be part of Tadley, we need to be in here. So that was 30-odd years ago. Excuse me. So the reason I got on that, Pauline's read that passage was, it just gives us a context, because Jesus in the New Testament and Derek's going to read that for me. If you come up, Derek's going to read Matthew twenty-six seventeen to twenty-nine. It's how Jesus institutes the first. Um, no, it's not Passover. It's uh, communion. <clears throat> on on the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked. Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city. 
to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you when my, in my Father's kingdom. Thank you, Derek. So there you can see in the midst of the traditional Passover, Jesus is setting up the, the, new, the new covenant and new communion that we're going to have. And Paul then goes on to add to it. I'm going to read that from 1 Corinthians 11:17 to 28. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. He's not talking to Tadley Community Church here, by the way. This is to some church in Corinth. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whenever... So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. So Paul is a serious challenge there. Before one takes communion, we should examine ourselves and see if we're right. And there's a story of the guy coming to bring his offering. And Jesus said, before you bring your offering, make sure you're right with people. So we will give opportunity for just a little quiet people. Even now you might think, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I had done that. Just make sure you put things right with whoever you need. Firstly, with God, obviously. 
So I find breaking bread is really, is really powerful, and I, I thought I'd look at some of the symbolism in it. And this is not all my own work. I've uh, added to it and I used it from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book, a very, very big book full of theology. Firstly, there's obviously Jesus' death in, in communion. The breaking the, breaking the bread symbolizes the breaking of his body and the pouring out the wine symbolizes his blood. And every time we claim, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're proclaiming Jesus' death this morning. I am expecting the children back in, so that's fine, because they'll be sharing the communion with us. And the second thing is that we participate in the benefit of Jesus' death. And Jesus said in Matthew 26, 26, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave his disciples, saying, Take, eat, and eat. This is my body. And as we take the bread and the wine for ourselves, we are proclaiming, I'm taking the benefit of Christ's death for myself. So when Jesus dies, he dies in our place, we're taking those benefits as we share communion together. It's spiritual nourishment. Obviously, it's physical nourishment, not that much. There's a small piece of bread and a small bit of wine. And in John 6, Jesus said, this is 53, Very truly I say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and blood drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So one who feeds on me will live because of me. And we're not obviously doing communion. This is, as it's over there, it's Sainsbury's grape juice, it's Sainsbury's gluten-free bread, because I know that some people have gluten allergies. And nothing special happens when we eat it. Some people believe it does, we, I think we believe it doesn't. I'll move on quickly before we get too controversial. It's something, this is amazing to me, there are probably over a billion Christians in the world, and we all do this on a regular basis. And 2,000 years, people have been breaking the bread, drinking the wine, and showing the unity of Christians throughout the ages. In 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. So that's billions of Christians sharing in the one body. That's just a fantastic thought. So putting these four things together, we participate, we come into the presence of Jesus, we remember that he died for us, we participate in the benefits of his death, and we receive spiritual nourishment, and we're showing our unity of worldwide believers and through all the ages. Another thing, and I think this will fit in with what God was saying earlier, is God speaks to us through communion. I mean, the fact that we can participate in the Lord's Supper and Jesus invites us to come is a vivid reminder that Jesus loves each of us. And God loves each of us, the Holy Spirit loves each of us. And he's inviting us in to share in this together this morning. And also I think it just Jesus affirms the blessings of salvation he's reserved for us. And I think we're singing on that song, no more sorrow, no more sadness, that's eternal life. And I look forward to that. But meanwhile, we're down here and we have some sorrow, some illness. But we need to be trusting in God because he knows what's best for us.
and it's hard, I know it's hard, I'm going through it as well, and I know many of us do it. I'm not making light of tough stuff that God brings our way. It is tough, and you sometimes ask those questions of God. Is there any other way, God, please? But I have to trust God knows what's best, because God, he's up here, I'm down here, I don't really understand what's going on. And I think another thing as we take the bread and the wine, we're just saying we need you, Jesus. We need your help in our daily walk, and we need to be reminded that You've taken our sins. You took my place, our place. And, and so God looks at us. He passes over us. Because he doesn't see me and my mess. He sees Jesus' blood covering me. So as the angel of death passed over the, the Israelite's house with the blood on the door, he passes over those where the blood was. So Jesus will pass, God passes over us because we have the blood of Jesus. And then I, I just love this bit in the road to Emmaus, and and this is the two disciples. Jesus died, and they they begin to wonder what's going on. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So these guys were Jerusalem's here, and they're heading this way, away from what's happened to, to Emmaus. And they're talking to each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation and what are you holding with one another? And as you walk. And they stood still looking sad. And when then one said, the one of them, gosh, my Bible so, prints so small. <laughs> uh, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these last days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet and a mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd, not, they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. They did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is... Stay with us towards the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he took the table with them and took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? And they rose that same time and they went back to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. So it's amazing, as they celebrate communion together, they suddenly realize who Jesus is. And he'd been telling them who he was, everything about him, and yet they didn't realise who he was until they break bread together.
few practical things. Um, I think you know this now. Now we use grape juice because I think it's it is one body, one blood. And the reason we use grape juice, we do have recovering alcoholics in our church, and, and also children probably would far prefer grape juice. Because you don't really want to have a queue, a table with children and any reformed alcoholics at one table sharing communion, and the rest of us, us holy people are really good, having the wine. So we have grape juice. It's so we're all sharing in the one... Whoops. And the bread, as I said, was gluten-free, because I I appreciate there are some with gluten allergies. So that's why we have grape juice, and why intinction, which is a technical name for do you take the bread and dip it in the wine? We think it's a little bit more hygienic, um, because you have this one glass, and you don't really want to be drinking that wine glass after I've had a drink, in case you catch what I might have got. So you just take the bread, dip it in the wine, the grape juice, sorry, and that, that's why I do that. Who can participate in, in sharing together? Everyone who loves Jesus. If you love Jesus, you may share with us this morning. Provided you've had a quiet prayer, and just make sure that everything's right. Okay? Another practical thing is, does it have to be on a Sunday morning? It's nice to do it on a Sunday morning. The other evening, we're, doing, uh, we're praying. It's a really good time. And Ellen, part of our prayer time, we share communion together. But might I suggest, I know some people do this, but if you're having friends around for a meal and you've got some bread and wine, share communion over a meal. I tell you what, it's really powerful because that is when Christians are together and in some ways that is the con- proper context for the sharing together is, is over a meal because Jesus did it at the Passover supper. And who can serve communion? Anybody. There's, there's no scripture that seems to say it has to be an elder giving you the bread and the wine. So that's why this morning we haven't got any servers so when we invite you up, we just want to go up and then just share with your family or your friends or anyone. And where can you do it? You can do it wherever you want. I think once, once uh, I think once we did it on a beach. It's strange. We share the communion together on the beach. So, so I hope as we share communion together, you will just appreciate the richness of what Jesus has done for us and what God has done for us. And. I think that's enough of me. We're just making an orderly way up and uh, participate. I do, before I do, I'll pray and just ask that we do actually quite, take this quite seriously because if there is stuff in our life that best pleased with, God would like us to sort it out. So, Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us that you are a good God. You are a great God. And you are a gracious God. And we do thank you for Jesus and what he did at Calvary and having his body broken for us and his blood shed for us that you might pass over our sin because you see the blood of Jesus over us. And Jesus, we thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, there are things I probably shouldn't have said and shouldn't have done. And Father, would you help me to make amends where I need to and that each of us will have a time just to reflect on stuff that you'd like us to sort out that perhaps is not our best for us. 
Amen. So if you'd like to just come up and help yourselves and share with others and your friends and family, that, that'd be great. And then after that, I think I, I, I finished here, so...